As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Late night Midnight on the interstate And I didn't feel so great Until I saw the city Well, we've been on hiatus for a little while since the end of the Wild regular season. I think my last podcast was with uh, Wild General Manager Billy Guerin, where we talked a lot about the potential Kevin Fiala trade. And welcome back to Straight from the Source. Kevin Fiala has finally uh, been traded, and this has been a year in the making, basically. I think we've been talking about this possibility on about every single podcast that I've done. Uh, both my uh, one that I do on the Talk North Network and the one I do here on The Athletic uh, for about um, every podcast, really, for the last year. The writing was on the wall last season when the Wild bought out Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter that essentially, if you did the math, bought them one year of Kevin Fiala. Um, the, the club had trouble negotiating a three-year deal with Kevin Fiala is the way that I understand it. They offered him over six. It was rejected. That's when they decided to uh, elect club op arbitration, which we know is very, very rare in the NHL. And the two sides settled on a one-year deal in the $5 million range. And I give Kevin Fiala credit. Um, he got off to an awful start last season. Uh, not just a bad like two weeks, a bad month, a bad six weeks. It was a bad two and a half months. I mean, he did not start to break out until just before the Winter Classic. And then obviously when Matt Boldy got here, he just completely broke out with Boldy and the two of them were just incredible, um, you know, duo to watch really the entire second half of the season. Kevin went on a couple of cord, uh, torrid runs and winds up with 33 goals, 85 points, and that uh, guaranteed that the Wild were not going to be able to afford him. But you just knew the entire second half. I mean, we knew the entire season that the Wild were moving on from Kevin after one year. But when, when you know, Bill Guerin made the decisions to extend Jordan Greenway at $3 million, and then he brought in Tyson Jones to $2 million, and he signed John Merrill to the three-year deal at $1.2. And then the last thing, which made it completely obvious, when they just gave Alex Goligoski in the middle of being healthy scratched um, three games in a row... Uh, $2 million a year um, on a, an extension. You just knew that they were not saving the money that would be necessary to sign Kevin Fiala long-term. And so Kevin now goes to the LA Kings for a first-round pick and defenseman Brock Faber, a second-round pick. He was the uh, player, the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten last year. First team, all Big Ten, um, real quality defenseman. Um, so the Wild get two assets for Kevin Fiala. We'll talk more about that in a couple seconds. So Kevin goes to the LA Kings, and then he immediately signs an extension at seven years at a sh shade over eight 
million a year, 55.125 million, it comes to 7.875 a year. And so um, now the Wild will have to contend with uh, Kevin Fiala and the LA Kings for the foreseeable future. Um, Not surprisingly, we know that Bill Guerin is bold with these type of things. And a lot of GMs would have been like, you know, I'm only trading him to the East. But uh, in, in, in Bill Guerin's opinion, he didn't care about putting Kevin into the Western Conference, a team the Wild are going to have to go up against to make the playoffs or maybe even in the playoffs in the future. Uh, and we know Kevin. I mean, Kevin's wired a different way. He's going to have an axe to grind with this organization uh, for the, a long time as well. Um, but good for Kevin. He gets his money. He had a huge year and, um, and showed last year what a special talent uh, he is. Now, um, this was a very, very hard trade to make. And a lot of this is conjecture, but a lot of this is talking to people around the league, sources, um, other teams, agents, um, people inside the organization. But the everybody in the league knew the Wild couldn't afford Kevin Fiala. So right, aw- right away, your backs are against the wall from that perspective. The other thing is Kevin was one year from unrestricted free agency. So he really determined where he would go from the sense of if he was, if if say the New Jersey Devils wanted him, say the Ottawa Senators wanted him, the New York Islanders wanted him. The reality is if he didn't convey to them after a conversation that Bill Guerin allowed his agents to have with those teams that he would sign there long-term, well, are those teams going to give up significant pieces for him? Uh, most definitely not. And so, uh, one, I don't know. I, I think a lot of it was conjecture, um, you know, uh, like the New Jersey Devils. I don't think that they were as interested in Kevin Fiala as we all thought they were. And uh, regardless, um, you know, they weren't giving up the number two pick. They weren't giving up their top, top prospects unless they knew Kevin Fiala was going to sign their long term. I do think that New Jersey has other plans in mind right now. They are going to get an impact uh, forward or two this offseason. But I think one thing that hurt the trade potential also with Kevin Fiala is not just the 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 power that Kevin had here in sort of determining where he was going to go by based on where he was willing to sign long term, but the fact that the market right now for uh, for skilled forwards is very very flooded. Um, you know, I it, it sounds like David Pasternak won't be traded, but if he's on the market, that changes everything. If Alex DeBrincat is indeed being shopped, that changes everything. Brock Besser, J.T. Miller, um, Mark Shifley, um, you know, Dubois. Um, there's a lot of names out that are floating around right now that sort of makes multiple options for teams that would hurt Bill Guerin's leverage here. And then you take the unrestricted free agents, guys like Johnny Goudreau and players like that. Like maybe Goudreau is a great um, possibility for New Jersey. I think we all had him sort of postmarked for Philly, but maybe John Tortorella being there right now changes things, right? So maybe he goes to a team like Jersey and maybe that's one reason why New Jersey wasn't all in on a guy um, like Kevin Fiala. The one thing that fans um, reacted to yesterday that I don't necessarily disagree with, but I sometimes think that Bill Guerin is just saying it to sort of protect um, the anonymity of teams that were interested in him or, or things like that, is that when he says he's not trying to win a trade, that he's just trying to make a fair deal. I think that gave the impression that, that and that also he didn't want to leverage teams against each other. You know, I think that gave the impression that maybe if he waited another week and was more patient going into the draft and waited for those pressure points that teams... Um, that teams would wind up uh, coming at him with better offers. And, you know, I just think that we don't know the conversations that Bill Guerin's having, maybe after those feeling out processes that he had with teams from the Eastern Conference that he realized that the trade offers weren't getting better, or maybe he really just loved Brock Faber. Maybe he just sat there and said to himself, you know what? Um, right now, if I wait and play games with the LA Kings, they're going to go and after one of these other forwards and I'm going to lose a p- potential trading partner. And maybe at the end of the day, Bill Guerin is like, I better just make the deal now. So look, I don't, I'm not privy of all those conversations. And a lot of that, what I just said is conjecture, but I think that the reality is, is that none of us know what was on the other, other lines during those things for people to just come out and say the wild made a bad trade because they didn't go get Alex Holtz or something. It, you, you know, it's just foolish to think that the Devils were going to give up their top prospect if Kevin Fiala was not going to sign there long term. And I don't get the impression that he would have, um, especially when you know that he can go to a place like L.A. and, and live nice for a long, long time and be a main uh, mainstay on a team that's on the rise, by the way. 
Um, you know, suddenly they have centers coming down the pike and things like that. The one thing that surprised me and is is getting the d- a defenseman. Like I personally think that like I thought all along if that it would be a first round pick and a prospect, but I always figured that prospect would be another forward or a center. Um, because that's where this team is light on. Um, they have an abundance of, of really quality defense prospects. But what they don't have an abundance of real quality defense prospects is a guy on the right side. And this is a team that scouts the University of Minnesota a lot. They have a high affinity for Brock Faber. And maybe this is total conjecture. And this is the type of thing that would tick Billy Guerin off as because we know what, we, what he always thinks of Matt Dumba con, uh, speculation. But this is potential Matt Dumba replacement insurance. Um, if they don't think the Kalen Addison, that guy, is that guy, or even if they think the Kalen Addison has a chance to be that guy, having two potential possibilities of replacing Matt Dumba if he leaves in a year, it, it makes a lot of sense. And the reality, in my opinion, is it makes very little sense to re-sign Matt Dumba long-term to extend him now. Um, you know, I think that if you use him as a trade piece come trade deadline time, you can get a boatload for him. Um, you know, even if he was willing to take a haircut on his $6 million a year, I just think that money could be used elsewhere, you know, potentially in, in better mechanisms. So, um Brock Faber is somebody that they have a, a real big appreciation for. I got a text message from a Big Ten coach right after the trade, basically asking me to, you know, try to get the Wild to sign him immediately because that's how how much uh, how impactful Brock Faber is defensively for the um, University of Minnesota. We saw a lot of those games last year between Michigan and Minnesota with those incredible uh, Michigan forwards that they had. How well Brock Faber played against them. He, uh, I talked to him yesterday. He's super excited to be here. Um, a lot of people thought that maybe he was going the mold of Adam Fox and was going to try to become a free agent and pick his spot in a couple years because he didn't sign with the LA Kings when they wanted to this year. Well, that won't be a problem for the Wild. I guarantee you this kid, after talking to him yesterday, is going to sign with the Wild after this year. He has long wanted to play for this organization. He refers to him as we. Um, he is a Jonas Brodeen fanatic, uh, molds his game after Brodeen. And I think that he is just super excited to put on the, um, you know, uh, um, the jersey for a team that he's rooted on for many, many years. I talked to his coach, uh, Bob Motzko, yesterday, too, who went on and on about what kind of world-class skater he is, world-class defender he is, and how he thinks he's going to have a long career and be an impactful defenseman in the NHL. He feels his offense is growing. That's one area where Brock has not um, excelled, really, at the collegiate level. But internationally, he has put up points. So we'll see if he's able to do that here. But look, I mean, Matt Dumba hasn't put up a ton of points lately either. But you look at his analytics, and he's one of the best best um, puck exiters in the NHL, getting that puck up out of the D zone and on transition. And that's one area where Brock Besser, Brock Faber, excuse me, um, Brock Faber has always um, really been good at. So. Um, we'll see what it turns out to be. The other part of this trade is is I got Judd Brackett here on the podcast today, which I don't know if I've mentioned, by the way, yet. And Judd now has another chip in his um, arsenal here to use in the draft July 7th and 8th in Montreal. This is somebody that's had a, a couple of real quality drafts at the helm of the Wilds draft table. This will be the first draft that's in person next week in Montreal. And um, now instead of having uh, one first round pick and seven picks, and three picks in the top 56, they get for the second year in a row, two first round picks, eight draft picks, and four picks in the top 56. Uh, the two other picks being in the second round, one, the 47th pick originally owned by the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, that they got in the trade for Jack McBain from Arizona, and the other a compensatory pick for not signing uh, Phil Johansson, who coincidentally goes to the Vancouver Canucks. So the Canucks get their second back round pick uh, back that they traded to Arizona originally, uh, coincidentally from the Minnesota Wild. Um, so uh, we'll see what Jod Brackett can do in this upcoming draft. I have a lot of questions, thanks to you guys um, that are listening, that submitted questions for Judd that we'll be talking to him about as well. In terms of other uh, things going on, um, Let's see. Uh, We talked to uh, Bill Guerin yesterday about uh, what he anticipates for the upcoming draft. The Wild have $7.383 million of cap space coming up, heading into free agency July 13th. Well, uh, two of those, um, uh, two spots need to be reserved for forwards as of now. One, the replacement for Kevin Fiala, and two, a 13th forward. Now, one of those players likely 
will be Marco Rossi. He uh, would uh, be a cap hit of $863,000, and then they would have to get another uh, forward, whether that be an impactful guy or maybe a 13th forward. Maybe it's re-signing Nick Delorier, which hasn't happened yet, but Bill Guerin has shown an appetite for wanting to bring him back. Then um, probably two to three million will need to be reserved for Jake Middleton, and then the rest of that would need to be reserved for a back for another goalie, either a 1B to go with Cam Talbot or a backup. And uh, the hope from Bill Guerin's perspective is that Marc-Andre Fleury is that guy. Um, there's going to be conversations here in the next little while between Marc-Andre Fleury, Bill Guerin, and Marc-Andre Fleury and his agent, and his agent and Bill Guerin, and they'll see if they can get it done, maybe at a contract around Cam Talbot's 3.67. If not, they're going to have to go get another backup. Um, Bill Guerin was honest yesterday and said that he feels like that goalie that they would get uh, to uh, tag team with Cam Talbot probably wouldn't be the caliber of a, of a, a Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, but we'll see what's out there. I've um, hyperlinked to my story today, uh, one of my many stories today that you can go look at, um, which would be um, pointing out uh, the potential goalie uh, options out there this summer. There are the guys like Darcy Kemper and Ville Husso and players like that, but then there are the true number twos, the Casey Dismiss at this stage in his career, Braden Holtby, um, goalies like that, Thomas Grice. So you can look at that um, in the uh, in the athletic. Um, and then the other option, of course, is trading for a goalie. So we'll see what Bill Guerin has up his sleeve from that perspective yet, but uh, the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't re-signed yet might be um, a, a little bit of a sign that maybe he's not going to. We'll see. I'm sure that Bill Guerin is going to try to twist his arm here in the next uh, 13 days because obviously he's going to need to know a plan uh, and how to how to uh, you know um, get going here in terms of getting another goalie if Mark Andre Fleury isn't coming back. Uh, my guest today, as I mentioned, is Director of Amateur Scouting Judd Brackett. In fact, later this um, upcoming month here. I'm actually flying to uh, Newport, Rhode Island for uh, my cousin's wedding. I'm actually going to make a pit stop. I'm going to fly into Boston, rent a car. I'm going out to Cape Cod, and I'm going to sit down with uh, Judd Brackett at one of his restaurants that he owns with his brother out there uh, called The Port. It's a really high-end, uh, um, a really uh, staple in Cape Cod, uh, the way I understand it, a, a seafood and steak restaurant. We're going to sit down at that restaurant, and I'm going to work on a feature on him uh, to run some point in August. So uh, this won't be the only time. I'll be talking to Judd Brackett here. We got the podcast. We obviously have next week in Montreal after two days of draft, and then I'll be actually seeing him later this month um, in Cape Cod, uh, which by the way, I've never been to Cape Cod, so looking forward to spending a day there. Um, Without further ado, we'll get to Judd Brackett, but here's a word from one of our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And as mentioned, uh, very happy to be joined by former collegiate goalie star Judd Brackett, uh, wild um uh, wild director of amateur scouting your third draft but this is gonna be like your first real draft with the wild because we're actually going to see you on a draft floor in montreal next week yes uh very generous of you too to call me a collegiate star i appreciate <laughs> i really appreciate that uh but no this, this is going to be great to be to be in the arena to be on stage to be at the table um you know one a full year of work and uh culmination in montreal so we're excited and we're doing this podcast. You are in Edmonton at your son's tournament, which I I swear I'm pretty positive you were there last year when we did this podcast, right? I, I believe it or not, I was in I was in Vegas. That's what playing. it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it was. I remember that, and that was nice of you to actually do that podcast yeah. in Vegas. I would have done it from a from a craps table myself. <laughs> um, so, if you had to scout your son's hockey, what would it be? Uh, you know what, this is, he's out here with a, with a good team from Boston, uh, playing in the big, uh, the brick tournament. Um, and, uh, he's right. He's in the mix. He's a hard worker. He's a good two way centerman, uh, skates well. And, you know, they kind of use him in all situations too. So he's, uh, 
he's just a, he's a really really hard worker loves the game it's his it's his own passion too it's not something that's from dad i'm on the mm-hmm. road a lot it's funny people always think uh you know it must come from from me but uh honestly this is this is his love and 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 this is incredible out here this setup that they have this is a memory for for the rest of his life they do a great job with this tournament yeah, and what great cities he gets to go to. Edmonton, Vegas. Last time I saw you, it was in Nashville at the end of the regular season, and you were there for his for was it his his tournament as well? It was. I remember when I was when I was his age, I was I was pretty lucky if I got to go to Worcester and, and maybe spend one night in a hotel. <laughs> That's awesome. And now he's going to Nashville, staying at if I remember the uh, JW Marriott. My goodness. Okay. Even the athletic couldn't put me up there. So uh, that was pretty cool. Well, let's talk about the upcoming draft here, July 7th and 8th in Montreal. Um, man, for the second year in a row, the Wild have two first round picks after yesterday's Kevin Fiala trade. Picking pretty similarly to the last year where you picked Jesper Wallstadt and Carson Lambos at 20 and 26. This year, 19 and 24. And then extra depth as well. You have two second round picks at 47 and 56. So four picks in the top 56. Um, you know, very, uh, if I'm not mistaken, your first draft with the Wild two years ago, you had five picks total. So this has got to be exciting for you as a staff. This is really exciting and it's, it's great news. I love, uh, you know, being able to share that with, uh, with the other scouts and let them know that we've got, you know, able to acquire an extra pick, uh, especially, you know, being a first round pick, um, hard to get, not easy, you know, a lot of the holds a lot of currency and teams, you know, generally hold on to them. So back to back years with two first round picks is, uh, you know, a real tip of the cap to, to build the work he, he's done and, and been able to, you know, negotiate, uh, you know, deals and give us certainly, you know, really good high quality swings that, uh, you know, continue to replenish the prospect pool and, and, you know, hopefully find some future Minnesota wild players that can help us get where we want to be. What, what kind of player do you think that you can get at 19 and 24? We think, you know, looking at the draft, um, you know, we, we obviously are going to play all the scenarios out, um, you know, at 19, I mean, you're, you're, we're going to get, uh, you know, could be a, a middle six forward, could be a top four defenseman, um, you know, probably, you know, we addressed the goalie need last year. So probably not an area that we'll focus on. Um, you know, it, it, we're going to continue to look at best available. Uh, we want high side. We want someone that is going to be able to, you know, to continue to play, you know, in a, in a position that we need them to be, you know, not a depth player. We're looking for someone who can help and, and make an impact for us. I studied uh, hours and hours and hours of video uh, last week. Uh, you know, our, our taskmaster at the Athletic, uh, Corey Pronman, sent me it. And I picked Coolidge to go at 24. Um, never heard of him, actually, I'll be honest. Uh, so, so I just kind of threw a dart at the dartboard. But uh, could I be right? I mean, what do you think of that player? Hey, I mean, he uh, <laughs> had himself an incredible, you know, U18 World Championships in April. Um, you know, plays plays in a men's league. Really strong skater. Obviously, you know, the, you know the the ability to shoot the puck and score the way he did too on the power play there. You know, I I think he's going to draw a lot of attention based on on his late uh, late performance in April. So. Again, uh, you know, at 19, at uh, 24, we're going to have to wait and see what others do, <laughs> but uh, not out of the realm of possibility. Now, you know, if if, if I turn out right, I'm going to tell everybody how hard I worked and to, to <laughs> identify that and got my first ever uh, uh, mock draft correct. Um, you know, obviously the Wild uh, yesterday, Judd, uh, they also acquired Brock Faber, and um, this is somebody that you scouted, I'm sure, um, in his draft um, three years ago as well. Um, wh- what did you see then from him? What did you see him develop into? And um, how much communication was there with Bill Guerin on this player This player prior to that trade? Yeah, as an amateur staff, we, you know, we certainly watched Brock when he was with the national team. Um, and the first thing that stands out stood out then too, is his mobility. He's a, he's a real fluid skater, all directions, um, a quick acceleration, able to gap. And he's really turned himself into, uh, you know, it, it, you saw him play at the world juniors in sort of a matchup role. He, he's the, he's just so easy to mobile. He's so mobile and can neutralize stick in lane gaps, tight, smart puck manager. Um, but you know, between, when he was drafted and now he's, you've seen a, a great maturation in his, in his game, um, competes really hard, 
Uh, you know, you saw it play against men at the Olympics and, and the success he had. So there's a lot of communication uh, we, we share uh, from the amateur side, you know, similar type of conversation, what we saw in him as a, as a, as a draft eligible player. And then, you know, that continues up the chain to our college scout and then our pro scouts that have seen him in some of, you know, maybe development camps or a rookie camp as well as the world juniors. So there's, there's communication it goes, you know, you know, from amateur to college scouting, pro scouting all the way up. And, and, you know, and then those discussions are, you know, lead to the execution. Do you, um, you know, can somebody, the one area where he hasn't maybe developed yet, Judd is offensively. Like I watch him and he's a world-class skater. He's, I mean, defensively elite, you know, I watched a lot of those uh, Michigan Minnesota games last year and those Michigan players had trouble getting through them. Um, yeah. But can can a player at this stage in his career develop that offensive, um, um, you know, growth or, or is, is this pretty much what he's going to be at the National Hockey League level? No, you, you can always continue to grow. I mean, he like there's no question when you watch Brock play that he's a smart player, he's competitive, he's mobile, and he handles the puck well. So, you know, a lot of those things can lead to, you know, whether it be points in transition, right? You know, being able to exit the zone and do it comfortably. So, he, you know, it, it might not be, you know, walking the offensive line or or off the rush, but he can, he can get into the offense for sure. And at the very least, it's going to generate our offense with his ability. The quicker we're out of our zone and, and the more we have the puck, the more offense we're going to generate so it, this is not uh you know a player that is a you know defensive first player that's you know throwing pucks off the glass and 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 hard rims he's he's executing and and with good clean outlets that's always going to lead to more offense uh before we get to um you know this year's draft and some twitter questions as well i wanted to ask you about just some of the last two drafts um you know marco rossi is somebody that i think now that kevin fiala has been traded um really has a quality chance of making this team um, you know, almost a point a game his rookie year in the with the Iowa Wild, his first real competitive hockey in a year after the unfortunate, um, you know, issue that he had medically. Um, you know, what do you expect from him this offseason to get himself into that position to make the team? And do you feel like he could be, uh, you know, somebody that could be impactful even his rookie year in the National Hockey League? Yeah, th- this year was was great for Marco. I mean, obviously, you know, the first and foremost was being healthy, being able to play a full season, to go through the rigors, you know, to to be able to trust your body that it's going to respond, that you're you're healthy every day when you get up and 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 playing and and you know coming over here playing a full year in the American Hockey League, the demands of it, the demands on your body, the emotional, the ups and downs, the some success, hitting a wall. Like this was all critical for him, and it's all inventory that he takes home and. Uh, for the off season and, and knowing Marco, he's going to put everything into getting over that hump, taking the next step, being better at anything that he felt, you know, needed attention. Um, and I do, I, I think he'll, he'll come, he'll be here and be ready and he'll put his best foot forward. Um, but I think it's pretty clear. We've seen it, the opportunity is there, but you got to earn it. Right. You know, so, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think he understands that too. It, there's nothing's going to be given. And, you know, he can come in and, and, and knock the wall down and, and, and be on the roster. And I do think he, he when he's there, he's going to have a chance to impact. He's an incredibly smart two-way centerman with, with, he can play in all situations. He can generate offense. He can be trusted on the penalty kill. He can win draws. So, um, you know, but again, when you take that next step, you find new hurdles that you have to get over. Um, Murat, uh, who's Nadina, uh, he was somebody, I, I, you know, did it surprise you when he resigned in the KHL and how was his, uh, year there? And, and, you know, I mean, is this a, you know, something that maybe does, doesn't exactly come as a, you know, a blindside to you guys, because it, at a minimum, it gives them two more years of development over there. Yeah. And he's playing in, he's playing in a top league and he's playing, you know, in all situations, he's, you know, on the top two lines, getting lots of ice time early on, especially, um, you know, I, I, I'm okay. I'm certainly okay with where he is. They've developed a lot of good hockey players over there and he's playing against some really, really high quality players. So, um, you know, we're excited about his development, his path and, uh, what the future looks real bright for him. How about, uh, I mean, you, you add O'Rourke Hunt, you have, uh, you know, Jack Parrott last year, you just added Brock Faber, Simon Johansson was just signed. You guys have Kalen Addison, uh, you drafted Carson Lambos last year. I mean, your blue line prospects right now seem like it's as full as any team in the league. Yeah, we're excited. I mean, it's you know, it's not necessarily by design. It's you know, when we're looking at players, it, you know, it's how things have have you know have have happened at the draft and where players have been. Uh, but we're thrilled with with 
all the defensemen. Um, they all bring, you know, sort of a different wrinkle in their game. Um, also like, you know, the years they had in terms of, you know, for Lambos, a long run with, with, with a young Winnipeg team, um, the minutes he's playing, the situations he's in, you know, same with O'Rourke. He, he spends a year in the American hockey league, goes back to the Sioux and is the captain, which he was as a, as a 17 year old and, you know, playing in all situations, getting lots of touches, the skill development keeps coming, um, you know, hunt, you know, all these guys right in the mix for, you know, Canada's world junior team, you know, minus an injury in the, on the, in the last period of the last game before the selection. So, you know, these guys are all playing high level hockey and, and having great success. Jack Pierre goes into, you know, into school playing with older players and assimilates right away on a team that was, you know, a high ranked team, you know, I think the start of the year, I think as, you know, the number one in the, in the poll. So he's going in and, and making an impact right away on a, on an experienced, good team and taking great strides. So it is, it's, uh, it's, it's great to see. And that doesn't mean that we wouldn't be opposed to, to adding another piece into that, uh, into that <laughs> pool. That's yeah. I don't think you can ever have enough. Yeah. So, I mean, so you, and you just, we just did a, a media zoom with the wild uh, beat writers, but you just basically, I asked you that question. I mean, it is not a guarantee now that because you have the goalie of the future, that you have what, seven, eight blue line prospects that you're just going to take a center or forwards with those two first round picks. No, I mean, and you know, and these are all young players too, right? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we may watch a player all year and feel he's going to be a center, going to be a center is a center at the junior level. And it might not, you know, it, it might not come to fruition. He may move to the wing when he turns pro. So, you know, we we can we can do as much as we can, and but uh, roster composition happens, you know, at at, mm-hmm. at a different time. Right, makes sense. Uh, two more questions on on pre- previous draft picks, and then we'll move on to Twitter questions. Uh, Jesper Walsbet, um, great year. He's coming to Iowa. Um, how, how, you know, first, can you sort of dissect his year for us or analyze his year for us, and what do you expect his first first full year? at the professional level he had a, a great year especially the, the start um in the fall you know due to an injury he really got a chance to to grab the the number one job and and you know and and did you know was great with it was confident um you know most nights was you know a 17 of 18 you know 17 stops on 18 shots um but the level he's playing at the the mental preparation being you know being a number one in that league even early on in a year I think gave him great confidence. Um, you know, I was unfortunate that world juniors didn't happen. I think that was going to be uh, a really, real big opportunity for him. And at December in, in Edmonton, I thought uh, he was coming in with full of confidence and was going to be on a team that was going to rely on him. So, um, you know, the second half of the year got into a situation where, you know, teams making a long run and went with more, a more experienced veteran guy. And that happens with goaltenders, you know, so I'm looking forward to see him in Iowa and getting the reps and coming over here. And, and, and I expect, uh, you know, he's, he's a pro he's, he's, he's played at the professional level. He's played a ton of international. So I don't, I don't think the stage is going to be too big for him at all. Do you, how long does somebody like him take to get to maybe this, to, to get to a point where, you, you all as an organization will feel comfortable at a minimum him being an NHL backup. Um, well, you know what? It, it's, it's hard to say because you don't want to rush someone into a backup position, right? Especially as a mm-hmm. goaltender, you want them getting the reps, you want them playing games, you want them seeing shots, especially at this age. So I don't think that's a, it's a rush to get him up. Um, right now you want to get them in and, and, and getting as many games as possible and, you know, in the right situations too. You mentioned the World Juniors. I mean, this has got to be an exciting World Juniors for you. The potential of five defensemen on the United States and Canada and, and a goaltender for Team Sweden. Absolutely. Uh, this will be exciting. I mean, uh, something new for everyone, World Juniors in August. But uh, <laughs> I think I think we'll, we'll be represented. And actually, even at that point, you know, maybe, maybe 19 and 24 could be in the fold as well. So uh, it could be an exciting summer yeah, for, 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 for wild fans and, and for us and our development staff uh, to see some of the, the gains that were made and, and, you know, be well represented. Um, just lastly on uh, draft picks, um, you know, how, how, how gut wrenching was it when you learned of uh, Pavel Novak's uh, diagnosis and, um, and, you know, what's uh, without revealing too much to invade his privacy, like, do, do you still feel like there's, a chance that that we're going to see him eventually back in a, a wild uniform. Yeah, I mean, for first and foremost, I mean, it's it's. I mean, these are you know these are really young men, and to have to deal with you know with, with something like this is is heartbreaking. 
Um, but I will say, uh, Pav's, Pav's one of those guys that, uh, he's got a great mindset for this and he's ready to take on the challenge and, and absolutely we're going to, we're going to be with him every step of it and, and continue to support him. And we still believe him for sure. Um, you know, one player that really intrigued me when I was actually looking at the mock drafts was uh, Mishnichenko, who I think uh, I'm pronouncing that right. Um, you know, he looked like he was a player that was going to be really at the top of the draft. And then unfortunately, he too was was diagnosed with cancer. Um, how do you how does um, you know, he's just gone through treatment. How do scouts now sort of, uh, you know, weigh this when when, you know, wanting to maybe take a really talented player, but not being very certain about his uh, health situation? Yeah, I mean, I think every team's going to approach it differently, but um, you seek medical advice for sure. Um, you know, and 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 weigh the risks. Um, it's uh, it's it's a really really unfortunate situation. Um, you know, Ivan was arguably you know one of the coming into the year was probably considered a you know in the in the top five, if not if not more. Um, so you know, every team's going to take the information, and assess it, and 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 make you know, make their best decision with it. Um, if you're cool with it, uh, Judd, um, um, just, uh, I'm going to go to Twitter questions. If you have to go, I never asked you what your time constraints were. Just wave at me. Um, and I'll, I'll end the podcast immediately. Uh, Tim asks, uh, why is this year's draft considered somewhat weak by some? Does it have to anything to do with the missed underage year or de- delayed development? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I I wouldn't refer to this draft as a weak draft. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there are players littered throughout the draft. There always are. Um, if anything, there might be some some later depth uh, or more depth to this draft in the later rounds, uh, and that's just given just just purely from league playing this year, more visibility for us to go out and see the players. Um, but yeah, there's there might be something to. Uh, you know, a missed year and a little bit of, of time missed with development. So some of these players, you know, may be tracking a little bit behind other years, but I, I think in the end, we'll, we'll still look back on this draft and, 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 and be happy with, uh, with the results. Um, I, I'm always hesitant to ask these type of questions to a chief scout that probably wants to keep a lot of things close to the vest. But uh, John asks, uh, who do you think is the best under the radar player in this year's draft draft and why can you, can you say that even if generally like, are you going to find a 108 point guy in the fifth round? <laughs> that's the beauty. That's the beauty of uh, the NHL draft, right? We're, we're dealing with, we're, you know, 17, 18 year old, you know, sometimes these guys are at different stages of their development, match physical maturation, mental maturation. So that's, you, you can still find that game changer, the franchise changer in the fifth round. Like we're, we're, we're certainly living proof of that. So right yeah. now, so I uh, can't really reveal who the under the radar guy is, <laughs> but as the draft unfolds, you'll probably see who we think is. Um, you know, I am always amazed at the draft because like every year it just feels like, you know, like Andre Palat, right? Four, four yep. picks from last in his draft. Jake Middleton was the last pick in his yeah. draft. Kim Janssen, Hans Janssen, Patrick Newhornquist. I mean, it is not, you don't just have to get guys in the first couple of rounds to make it a successful draft. No. And sometimes I think you, you see some of the leader guys, um, that are having the success, the players that you, that you mentioned, it usually comes from a scout having a really strong feel for mm-hmm. someone. They've done a lot of work on them and they really go to bat and say, look, we, we, you know, if we have that at late pick, this is the guy that I want based on everything I've seen. And we've done the interviews and we've talked to him. And, but sometimes it's because you, you've done that at gone that extra mile with that player that in, in your hunch was right. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Mike Amundsen asks, uh, is there any way to see past the size, skills, and smarts of a player to project how they might rise to the occasion in the playoffs? Yeah, we. I mean, during the year when we're scouting players, we, we look for, you know, tells in their game, whether it be a situation, whether, you know, how do they, how are they deployed? Do they use, do they, are they able to, you know, rise to the occasion or that do they have, they score big goals. Do they, are they involved with generating offense, you know, late in games, you know, on the road in a, in a tougher environment. So yeah, we, we try um, to assess players, you know, that way. Um, and some just actually don't get the opportunity, you know, until, until it's actually presented to them. Uh, ben Hurdle asks, how do you feel? I think you alluded to this a little bit, but how do you feel about the center depth in this year's draft? Center's always a t- is a tough position to fill. Um, you know, it's it, there's a lot of demands, a lot of good junior players that play center now. That uh, you know, sometimes it's maybe they can't has, handle the physical, physical two way play of it, or you know, the pace is too much. So 
Yeah, centers are always a premium and and hard to find. Um, Dirty Dan asks, uh, was becoming a head of scouting and being in charge of the draft your goal all along, or do you hope to one day become a GM? I love I love what I'm what, what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, you know, and when I got into, into this business and scouting, I didn't envision myself in this position either. I, I just enjoyed being at the rink, watching games, evaluating players, sharing my opinion, the camaraderie of, of, of scouting and the hockey community. Um, so yeah, I'm, I love, I love what I'm doing. And to be honest, it, like there's no, it, it's a, you, you have a clear start and finish, you know, so when we, when we get going with the next group of players, you know, in August at the, at the Holinka tournament, you know, there's, there's no, you know, yes, you're in some of the same cities over and over, over and over again, but every draft has its new challenges, new players, new evaluations. Uh, so there's, there's, there's never any dull moment for me. I, I really enjoy it. If, and if you read my Judd Brackett profile when he was first hired with the Wild, you'll, you'll know that he started as a sports writer with McKean's Magazine. Uh, so so uh, there's still hope for me <laughs> yeah, to cross the aisle and uh, do what I've always wanted to do. That's, uh, that's uh, run a team. So, there you go. Wouldn't I, be the, wouldn't I be the greatest GM? I would, make a, I, yeah, I would make a trade after probably every every single game. Like any player that pissed me off, just like you're out of here. So <laughs> that's why I couldn't do it. I have no patience. Uh, Chris Noble asks, how far before the draft does he really want to have his draft list, list locked in? Um, obviously, it is constantly changing, but is there a certain goal for when you have to at least some semblance of a plan in motion? I mean, is it done? Yes, we're done. I mean, we'll still we'll get to Montreal and we'll and mm-hmm. you know we'll do some hypotheticals. We'll do a mock draft. We'll you know if this scenario happens, how are we going to react to it? So you know it's more situational, but based on the list that we have. Um, typically, we like to have uh, the framework of a final list done going into the combine, um, and then we you know if we need to readjust based on you know either a physical ailment or or something we learned there. Um, you know, we'll continue to talk about it, but for the most part, uh, you know, we want to keep it close to having a a finished product when, when the season's over, right. We don't want to, we we don't, we don't want to get too far away from when, when players played their last games and, and it's real fresh as to what we thought of them. So we, 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 we talk all the time and then we have, you know, sort of monthly meetings, uh, even on the road when we're together too. So, we, we like to have a list done, you know, going into the combine and then just make small tweaks from there. At the combine, I mean, does it, have you ever had a situation where an interview really skyrocketed a player or dropped a player uh, dramatically? We we're, we try not to let it, like, really skyrocket, like, one way or the other. Any, any extremes, maybe small thinker, hey, you know, we had some concerns about this. We mm-hmm. we pushed pushed on it at the combine, didn't get a great response. You know, it's more, it's more that it... it affirms what we think we already knew uh, at the combine but yeah you can you can you can help yourself or, or mm-hmm. hurt yourself there but not dramatically um i love this question from garrett pollard uh, it says year after year we see undersized players fall in the draft who continuously um tend to prove themselves in the national hockey league such as DeBrinket and caulfield i mean we could add guys like Braden Point, we could add Kucherov, we could add Jared Spurgeon, right? Um, he he basically asks, why do you th- still think that is? I mean, why why do you think that, th- like like almost do, do scouts need to readjust and realize that this is now a game where small men can actually really function well? Yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's still you see it every year. It's the it's the largest bias in in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of drafting size is is sort of the biggest uh, wild card going in. Uh, to drafts when we try to pro- project where players are going to be picked, you know, we, the one wild card every time is well, this guy, you know, maybe he slides because of size. So there's there's definitely a bias against it. Um, but it's you know, like you said, you don't have to look too far to see undersized players having great success. Uh, Shane Wright's been the perennial number one like for years. It feels like since he got the exception exceptional status and in, in the CHL. Um, Andrew Betts wants to know if you had, and now of course, like there always is at the end, there's always a debate who should go number one. It doesn't actually look like, you know, word reports out that Montreal might take him. Um, you know, he said, if Judd had, Andrew wants to know if Judd had the number one overall pick, who would you draft? Are you comfortable saying that? Uh, I can't, I, we can't okay. give that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, How a about good, this? It's, it's a good debate though. It's yeah. It's been good discussion yeah. all year. Um, like, but, could you talk it, about the three guys there, Cooley and right? Yeah, and, like these, they mean, and, 
the success they've all had is is in different degrees. Wright has has clearly established himself in the OHL, especially as an underage. Went to Texas last year with with Hockey Canada, the U eighteen, and performed very well there. Um, you know, he's a proven scorer, centerman. Like Wright, really, he brings a, he brings a lot there. Well, I mean, you don't have to look too far to see what Slavkovsky's done this year. Done it against men. Yeah. Done it at the Olympics. Um, came back from the Olympics and and did it in Ligas. And you know had a great Ivan Holinka to start the year. Cooley, you know, elite skater, um, two way game leads that national program. I mean, these, like these are this, this is a great debate, and it'll it'll go on long past uh, Montreal too. I think. Uh, Nick wants to know if Yurov will be available at nineteen. Do you think? Do you like him? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where he's going to go. We're going to have to wait and see. There's, there's 18 teams yeah. in front of us. So do you take this one? Do, I mean, you know, I will say this, uh, like, do you think that there's going to be any, like teams are always concerned about ta- drafting Russians regardless, because uh, just the, what we just saw with who's Nadinov guys going back like Nichushkin and, and Radulov, um, you know, will what's going on in the world today make it a little more difficult to take a Russian player? Or do you think that will have nothing to do with it? That the, maybe the same concerns that have always been there will just be there normally. Yeah, I think, I think every team again is going to approach this, this situation differently. Um, everyone's cognizant of what's going on in the world and, um, you know, and they'll, they're going to weigh the risks and rewards of, of a player, you know, whether, whether, you know, whether it's an injury, whether it's, um, you know, signability, whether, whether there's a war going on. So it's going to be an internal debate and discussion from amongst 32 teams. And, and, you know, we'll obviously see what, what the effect is in terms of where players go when we get to Montreal. Uh, final couple questions for you, Judd, I promise. Uh, Vaughn asks, uh, do you make your draft list into tiers and then select from the tiers or it's straight number one to 80 or something like that? Uh, we have we have varying, without going too, we, we don't really want to give away too much right. of what we do, but uh, we, we do a little bit of both. We have uh, some straight straight ordering, you know, next best of error available. And then we do also do some some tiering of players too. Uh, got you. Uh, Walter Norris wants to know what's the single most important opportunity or occasion to form a solid opinion on a player in a calendar year. Like, is there a final threshold or a tournament, or it's just no? It's nope. got to be a culmination of ev- of everything. I think that that's probably a, a dangerous way to do it if you if you put too much stock in in one situation. Makes sense. Um, let's see. Uh, senator Stackhouse wants to know. I don't know if this is a real senator. Um, how much herd mentality is there when a player slides on the draft? So he's basically saying if if teams are passing on a player, does that make now a player uh, team more likely to also pass on that player because because that it player's sh- phone? It shouldn't. Um, if you've you know if you've done all your work and you believe in your process and the information that you've gathered, then it, you know if if a player is sliding, uh, even, no matter despite you know what other teams are doing. You should have the fortitude and, and, and the integrity of your list to follow it. Uh, Marty wants to know, what's your favorite scouting trip that you've ever been on? Great question. Favorite favorite scouting trip? Um, man, that's it. Texas was fun last year. Uh, maybe it was it was partly just the the relief of of actually getting out on the road and mm-hmm. and seeing and seeing some international play too. Um, but I'm also I'm a huge fan of uh, of any trip that uh, involves uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. So. <laughs> I see. I've never been there, and I've heard that it's incredible there. Yeah. Um, um, what? How about? What's your? Have you had any hellacious experiences? Like I used to do stories on some of those scouts back in the '90s that we used to have to drive through Siberia or snowstorms, and you know, I've had some. Yeah. I've had some. I've had some tough with with missed flights and 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 cancellations. Actually, even coming out here for this tournament, uh, the majority of our team, uh, the parents, went through some sort of delay cancellation. It's uh, travel hasn't been easy um, yeah. this last year and a half. Well, I'm getting all these notifications right now about our going to Montreal next week. I'm starting to worry that, you know, right now it's not easy flying. Um, last question. This is a fun one. Uh, Bryce <laughs> wants to know, um, where's your go-to place for a summer vacation and em- any hobbies you like to do? Summer's probably not the time that you get a lot of time off. 
Yeah, well, I mean, summer for me is uh, is Cape Cod, so that's that's my destination and beach town. And and uh, but again, I have uh, brother and I have two restaurants there, so mm-hmm. stay busy with that. That's the their busy their busiest time of year is July and August. So, but uh, hobbies not a golfer. I do, I do enjoy fishing, but nothing, I don't do anything enough to, uh, to call it a hobby. Um, so do you know what you got going on July 27th? Tell me it's in your calendar. Oh, it's on, it's in there. Nice. You want to tell everybody what's happening? I I, I got an alert for on the 26th and a reminder to have everything (laughs) ready. We got a big (laughs) V we have a VIP coming in. Yep, exactly. I want I want the nicest bottle of wine, the uh, greatest cut of steak, everything. I'm uh, getting to actually go and check out the port, uh, which is one of uh, Judd and his brother's restaurants uh, in Cape Cod. I've actually never been to Cape Cod, so I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, we're going to sit down and uh, work on a big Judd Brackett feature. So uh, looking looking forward to that. I won't drag out the recording equipment and put you through that. Um, actually, you know what? We've ordered great weather. We've been, we've got some choice steaks for you. So nice. You know, that's actually going to be an exciting couple days for me. I'm actually coming to you from Austria, uh, where I'm actually going to visit Marco Rossi's hometown for a couple days. And oh, I'm going to go to his hockey school and things like that. And I'm flying back to go to a wedding in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. And I'm making a little pit stop in Cape Cod. So uh, it's going to be a fun couple days. Probably not the healthiest couple days, but uh, um, just know I might be a little jet lagged. No, so. for, that's great. That's great stops. Newport's awesome too. Yeah. And I'll give you a firsthand uh, update on uh, Marco Rossi's training on him getting ready for training camp. So okay. hey, Judd, you are always the best. I'm uh, really looking forward to seeing you, uh, you know, uh, again, um, July, July 7th and 8th, the first two days or the only two days of the draft in Montreal. And I know I started the interview with this, but I mean, just how exciting will it be uh, to actually get on that stage and announce, announce these picks? Oh, we're thrilled. I mean, it's, it's been a long time coming and, and it's not just for us. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the players. They, they deserve, you know, they deserve this opportunity to share it with their families, to be on stage, to be rewarded for their hard work. It, it was, it was the biggest thing that's been missing the last couple of years is, is having a chance to see the, the excitement, the smiles, the, the tears, the, you know, these, yeah. these kids have, have, have put in a lot of hours and a lot of time. And, and I'm, I'm just excited and I'm sure it's going to be, a full house and a, and a great crowd too. So yep, it's, no it's, it's going to be a great venue. I'm excited. And we're going to have about 50 people from the athletic there as well. So it'll be uh, fun. So definitely read our coverage in the athletic. Uh, Judd, looking forward to seeing you next week and getting, seeing you get on that stage. And uh, thanks for doing this, Judd. Anytime. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. That is Judd Brackett, director of amateur scouting for the Minnesota wild. And here's a word from one of our sponsors. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Well, thanks to Judd Brackett for joining Straight from the Source this week. And uh, as you know, there are podcasts all throughout our athletic network. And Ian Mendez and Down Goes Brown have the Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show with their guest, Jesse Granger, who is our Vegas Golden Knights beat writer. So make sure to tune into that and follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and review. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.